What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain it's not often I get to talk about business on the podcast, but when I had John Durant, best-selling author and founder of Wild Ventures, a venture capital firm focused on CPG companies, companies selling packaged goods to consumers, I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk about the lessons learned from entrepreneurship and the mistakes and pitfalls he sees from people starting their own business. Enjoy. So I don't get a chance to talk about business all that often on my podcast here, and I wanted to take that opportunity today because... You're not only running, you know, your own entrepreneurial venture, but you're dealing with a ton of other companies that you're seeing trying to build brands, trying to sell products. And so I thought it would give you a good view of what some of these smaller companies as they're starting, what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. Cause I know there's a lot of people out here who are seeking that path of developing their own product, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and bringing things to market. So, um, wanted to kind of dive into that and see, um, you know, some of the things that you see when, when someone's doing something well and, and captures your interest and, and obviously you've been good at predicting what's going to be successful. So what are you looking for out there in the market? I will say one of the coolest parts about being in the venture space is being able to peek under the hood of tons of different types of businesses. Mm -hmm. And you do start to see patterns, um, similar types of business models, whether it's a subscription business or in food and beverage you know, companies moving into Whole Foods or whatever in that whole process. So um, it's, it's, it's been super fascinating. I mean, just as, as context for the listeners, um, Wild Ventures is a, is a small venture fund focused on consumer health, and we have an influencer model. So I work with a lot of health and fitness influencers like Mark Sisson, Wellness Mama, Chris Kresser, um, and they are authentic health figures who've developed their own platforms and they want, we want to, you know, we want to build the future we want to live in, right. Mm -hmm. That we want to see in the world. And if, if we can help find good startups and propel them to faster growth and be more successful, like that is a huge win. In the influencer space, I see all sorts of companies that come to me and, and, um, there's a slide in their investor deck and says, we're going to use influencer marketing to right. like grow super fast. That's like the, it's the N word, right? It's now. the N word. It's yeah. the N word. And I, you know, I've seen, you know, faces of people that I know in investor decks and then I ping them and I'm like, are you involved with this company? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, your picture's in the deck. Um, <laughs> it's just one contact they made one time. So yeah, I mean, I wonder a, if I'm showing up in, in bitch decks at certain points. I, I, I saw Rogan in one deck for a coffee company and I'm like, you know that Rogan's involved with Caveman yeah. Coffee. Yeah. And, and on it coffee. And on it. <laughs> yeah. And like yeah. and they're like, oh. And I'm like, you just threw his picture into the deck. You don't actually have a relation. You're like trying to bar get people excited and you don't uh -huh. even know the guy. Yeah. Um, so it it's definitely become <clears throat> trendy and it's, and it's become a buzzword. One of the biggest mistakes I see is um founders think it's a magic wand where you mm. can wave some influencers over a crappy product and turn it into a good one. Mm. And you can't do that. Cinderella is not an influencer. Right. And I have, <laughs> the, uh, when I have, I, know, I guess it would be the fairy godmother. Yeah. The fairy, I, fairy godmother. Yeah. Um, or Tinkle, Tinkerbell. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but so, if you do have the fairy godmother, that could work. You could turn if, pumpkins if you, into a carriage. But there is no such thing as a fairy godmother. That's so right. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's not real. <laughs> <laughs> Gave people some whiplash there. Um, the, uh, I mean, if you think of uh, 
you know, influencers with online platforms are a distribution channel. Yeah. They're a very powerful one that can reach customers directly with authenticity um, around a common interest. But they're a, in some sense, they're a distribution channel like Whole Foods or other retailers are distribution channels. Mm-hmm. Just because you get stocked at Whole Foods doesn't mean you have a good product. Like sure. I was saying earlier, you know, you can put asparagus water into Whole Foods. It doesn't mean it's not a ridiculous product. Yeah. Um, so it, it influence, having influencers on your side can't turn a bad product into a good one or a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, it can so rule one then is product first, yeah. right? Like make a great fucking product. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And make a, make a product that, um, you know, I can't, the relationship that I have with the other influencers in my group, um, I, can't for, I cannot force them to promote something that they don't want to promote. Their platform is sacrosanct. It's yep. theirs. It's their business. It's their brand. It's their authenticity. We don't have a contract that requires them to promote something. I tell them this relationship has to be based on love. Yep. And if this company does something wrong that you don't believe in, you don't ever have to promote them again. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, and, and that's good for me because I get to tell the company, you just, you have to make a great product that these people are proud to promote on their platform. Mm-hmm. And like, if they're getting back, like if there's an ingredient in there, they don't believe in, they're not going to promote it. Yeah. So um, having a love-based rela- relationship is really important. When I send opportunities out to people in my group, I don't send business terms. I don't send financial stuff at first. I just say, do you love this product? Try it, sample it, tell me what you think. Concerns, have you promoted it before? Mm-hmm. So that keeps, I, I've sort of handcuffed myself where I can't move without them saying like, we love this, but ultimately that's good because we shouldn't be yeah, promoting it's something. The vet, that, it's the vetting process. That's you right. Know, that's, that's your form of due diligence. Right. Taking it out to all of the experts you know and seeing if, if they love it. And right. That's definitely probably the most important test. And, and, and like, there's another danger with the influencer stuff, which is, um, look, the reality is if your email list is big enough, you can promote something once and sell a lot of something, even if it's not very good. Mm -hmm. Right. But you can't do that over and over again. Um, so yeah, my, my good friend, George Bryant, who's a digital marketing expert, he calls that creating body bags. Yeah. Right. Like you're taking, you're taking your audience of hopeful potential people that you're building relationships with and if when you ever do anything of disservice to them or they see something that turns you off you just made a body bag yeah that's just a a blunt end of this connection where you're no longer going to travel and it it devalues every other recommendation that person makes so um but but the reality is if you were to get a bunch of people to promote something once you could astroturf something and for maybe five months or six months or maybe even a year the growth numbers would look good mm-hmm. be- just because of raw numbers of putting it out there. Um, but that is a disservice to everybody because yeah. it's not a good long-term play. It just looks good. It's a flash in the pan. So one of the things I look for is um, companies that have some sort of organic traction. I don't want to get into a situation where we astroturf something mm-hmm. and pump and dump sort of situation. So I like, you know, part of, you know, trying a, a food product or bone broth or whatever it is, or having people use the service is is really important. Or making sure, like we got, I got involved with Thrive Market pre-launch. Mm-hmm. There was nothing that I could test there, but you know, we knew that customers wanted to buy healthier products and brands for less. You know that, so like they have to execute on that promise. But um, that was an area where we were, we knew there was market demand yeah. for something like that. So we don't want to astroturf something. So so I love seeing some type of organic traction um, yep. among people and among influencers. The, the health food space is interesting because there are a lot of great products. Yeah. And there's, you know, a lot of great products that don't do much, you know, that don't really get anywhere and are just kind of hustling and languishing around. Uh, um but, you know, so that organic traction, you know, can come from a variety of different ways. But I think, uh, obviously, for you, that makes sense. Like, all right, we need something with some inertia already. Right. But for those people who are thinking about it, like, you know, oh, man, I'll just make a, you know, a health product. Like, there's a lot of good shit out there. And make sure you're doing your research, first of all. Because yeah. I've known even some really smart entrepreneurs 
who have been, you know, gotten way deep, million dollars deep into a product with it's a great idea, not really having a full scope of research. Yeah. Of what's in development, what's coming out, and then have something come out that's just a little bit better and realize, damn, right. Know, I missed. Yeah. Here, and that's a lot of wasted money. And in, in the health product space, you know, there's so many good products. You really have to figure out what your thing is. Yeah. And it, then have your strategy to start building that initial momentum. So what do you see that people, you know, what how do people get that initial momentum going? How do they make it start to happen? So, um, I mean, a variety of different ways. Just one mistake on how to go about this. Yeah. You know, I had a food company that was very aggressive about getting me to be an advisor or endorse their product. And I said, well, send me some samples. I'm like, well, we haven't made it yet. I said, get the fuck out of town. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to put my name on something that I can't, like, that other people are going to ingest if I can't even ingest it myself. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you've, you know, they've sent me four different documents. Some of the documents are like 40 pages long. There's all this inf information. I said, go make the product yeah. and send it to me. Yeah. Like, so step one is um, make a prototype, even if it's in your own kitchen. Mm -hmm. Like it's not expensive. You know, you can prototype a lot of stuff for like a thousand bucks or yeah. less. Dehydrators, little yeah. things that you can get if whatever it is and get an approximation at least. Yeah. You know, I made, you know, our best selling protein which is the hemp force line i made that just measuring and blending powders by hand in my kitchen yeah. and it took you know it took like a f i got all the ingredients took a couple days i'd get this one try i mean just not there and then i remember the one time i hit that right balance of all the different ingredients and i was running around like a wild man i was like serving smoothies to the neighbors that's right you know like try this this is amazing you gotta uh -huh. try this uh -huh. like knock 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 hey i made this smoothie you want to try it and and that was like a, a cool moment because that was, a, it was really a dry blend of products and I was able to source all these ingredients yeah. and mix them up. And then I knew that I had something. And then when I went to the proper manufacturer, I was like, all right, here's the recipe for that. And when I see companies come to me saying, oh, we, you know, we need half a million bucks to get to the next level or, you know, we need 2 million bucks or something like that. Um, a lot of times there is a way for them to show traction or get a prototype or start selling in some local market that would cost them $15,000. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I say to them, like, um, like you need to go do a little bit of hustling here. That's much cheaper because capital right now is not your obstacle. Like there are ways for you to get a read on the market and whether people are interested in this product for way cheaper. And so it's in some ways it's a cop out for some people to be like, oh, if I only had millions of dollars, I can make this a success. No, like you can make this a success in a in a local area, in your local grocery store, or at your farmer's market, or among your friends and family, or on your blog for way cheap. It is cheaper than ever to start a company. Yeah, I raised one hundred and ten thousand dollars to start on it, and I proceeded to waste 80,000 of it before like we actually yeah. started to do what I needed to do which is to make alpha brain you know which is our true you know first flagship product yeah so really if I didn't I mean obviously you can't say if I didn't because I was learning things and right. figuring shit out um but if I didn't waste that money I probably could have started it with like 40 grand yeah yeah and we've grown it you know from cash flow ever since it doesn't require this massive outlay of cash you know a key element of course was that built in, I had Joe Rogan as yeah. a distribution channel. So just, I had to make an extremely high quality product and I had, you know, one way to get that product out and that was enough. That was enough to start it. Yep. Yeah. So the, um, another, you know, another mistake, what was the other mistake that I was going to bring up? Choosing um, the influencer is a yeah. mistake that we were talking about in the car. Right. So, um, I live in LA right now. So it's a, it's a, you know, the entertainment industry is massive mm -hmm. and even in the, that bleeds over into the tech industry where, you know, there are startups like Honest Company with Jessica Alba and, and, and Beats by Dre. Those are actually examples of companies that have leveraged A-list celebrities effectively. But if you take Beats by Dre, like his reputation is all around sound of music. Yeah. So that is a natural, that is a core competency of him. Yeah. But I see all these startups that are trying to get A-list celebrities to invest in like their their dog technology company or their whatever. And, and it's like tangential to whatever that celebrity is known for. A-list celebrities are way overrated. Mm -hmm. They, for like 
six or seven different reasons. Um, <laughs> their audiences don't like the reason why somebody is following movie star A or B isn't because of they care about health or whatever. It's because they're a famous movie star. Yeah. Um, the A-list celebrities have huge egos and they're hard to deal with. They think they get compensated so much in other areas of their life that they value an hour of their time. They're like, well, if I give an hour of my time once a month to this startup, I want 5% of the company. It's like, get out of town. That's not, yeah. you know, that's, it's not appropriate. The value isn't there. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, um, they, a lot of the A-list celebrities inherited their platforms from the mainstream media. They were in a blockbuster movie, and so they ended up with a lot of followers on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Um, that is far less interesting than people who have built their own platforms through their own effort and their own team's effort. Like Gary Vee. Yeah. Somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. Who, who built it organically, and they have teams that are good at running this. A lot of A-list celebrities are basically... You know, they've got an entourage, their second cousin runs their social media and they're like high school buddy, you know, yeah. not to. And that's fair because they want people they can trust. They can trust. You know, and that's the most important thing for them at that point because everybody's trying to take something from them. That's so right. Rather take mild incompetency versus a very competent, disloyal, disloyal shark who's yeah. going to try and feed off all of their shit. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. But but when it comes then to well, digital marketing, to, yeah. they're not very good at it. And they're <laughs> like, oh, the I sent out a tweet. And it's like, oh, nice. But like. Yeah. That, well, and, and we've seen that. You know, I've told this story before when I'm talking about businesses. You know, Ludacris is a good friend and a great ally, a great supporter. Um, you know, we don't pay him anything. We, he gets product and stuff. We support him in that way. But um, when he puts out a tweet, I remember he put out an a Instagram post. He's got a huge, massive following, 12 plus million right. on Instagram. And he posts funny shit with the hashtag, this is ludicrous. And he posts about Fast and Furious, posts about his songs. That's what people are following him yeah. for. But he posted something about on it. was like, I take all of these things. I feel better than I ever have them. I live to be 120, you know, just joking around. And we like rushed to the, to the sales panel to check what the results were. It was just crickets. Yeah, as crickets, you know, whereas some smaller influencer in the health space will post something about it and we'll see a, a significant blip. Right. You know, right. or or someone who people trust their like opinion. I remember Donald Cerrone was talking about our products on Joe Rogan experience. Massive, massive boost because people identified with Donald. They feel like they know him, even though he wasn't an expert. There was a certain sense of authenticity and exposure of discussion where he was talking about it for like 30 minutes it right it was like oh shit yeah. what is going on right now right. we weren't listening live like something is fucking happening right now yeah and so it's just such a huge and his thing. career is based on performance it's, yeah exactly so. so you know donald is a fraction of the star that ludicrous is but you know his impact versus ludicrous is is, is massively different so choosing yeah. your influencer is incredibly important yeah so go um People get too obsessed with status, and um, one of a rule of thumb that I tell founders, both with raising money, who you raise money from, influencers you get involved in, if um, if people, if you could never tell your friends, you could never post on social media that you raised money from this person, or you could never do a PR release, would you still want to do it? Because a lot of times people are like, oh, it, it validates having some A-lister involved validates to other people that I'm doing a great enterprise and I'm succeeding. Mm -hmm. You take out that external validation and suddenly you can make a more thoughtful decision. Yeah. Um, so, you know, okay, great. Like you got some like hotshot VC to invest. Pretend you can never tell anybody about that. Did you, did you still want the onerous terms and everything else? like in it if you couldn't tell anyone yeah so um but you know like so one of the people i'm very close to is wellness mama at mm -hmm. wellnessmama.com like incredibly authentic built her own platform mother of six uh didn't graduate from college um six kids you know she's 30 years old yep like does all this diy stuff herself like incredibly authentic audience she, you know she's she moves the needle in a way that an a-list celebrity never would yep it's, it's, it's her purpose yeah it's it's what she is so finding the right people is is super important the right influence all right so get a great product yeah find a way to build initial momentum one of which is choosing the right influencer yeah doesn't have to be someone big can right. be someone small someone speaking to an audience that yeah. trusts them 
And then what else? Other, what are, what so are the other initial steps? other ways, initial momentum. I mean, there, there's there's basic hustling like selling product among friends and family or at your local gym or in person. On online has completely changed the game mm-hmm. in in you know in in the food and beverage space. Um, it used to be that the only way for a food and beverage company to grow um, was th- just through traditional retail, and the way I sort of it, it, but now you've got online sales that you know that where you actually have a direct relationship with the customer you can you launch a new product guess what you can tell your customers that you have it trying to come up with new flavors you can ask your customers what flavors they like and want um completely changes the game the the, the old model was um i sort of describe it as fighting a land war right a land war in asia yeah it is really expensive it takes a long time like most people have failed at it, mm-hmm. um, whereas online is sort of like air power, right? In in the food and beverage space, if the goal is to get acquired by one of the bigger food companies, you still at some point have to fight the land war. Yeah, but air power really helps with that. Yeah. Sure, but, especially getting that momentum. Right? right, like you start to build resources in order to get enough momentum, and it's higher margin. Yeah, which margin. Um, too few entrepreneurs fo- focus right at the beginning on their margins and their unit economics, like making sure that it's every unit I sell of this, I'm making some money on. That is important for a lot of reasons. Um, the more you can self-fund your own growth and bootstrap, the better you will be. Like yeah. you will be independent. You do not have to raise money from outside investors every year and a half and dilute your company, possibly lose control. Um, if you know, shit hits the fan and the economy, you know, does poorly, you've got cash on hand and you've got a buffer there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there are too many founders that say, I'm going to ignore margins and unit economics at the beginning. And once I achieve some scale, we'll get economies of scale and like magically it will become a profitable thing. Yeah. You can, you can, there economies of scale are real. And if you start you know, having larger production runs with a co-packer, you can get some price discounts and things like that. But, you know, maybe you can improve your margins from 35% to 42% or whatever, but you're not going to go from like 15% to 50%. And I see too many people out there who are just completely unrealistic about their margins from the outset. Sure. And that's not, and that again, one of the values of going direct to consumer is right. direct consumer, you have the, the CPA to deal with. How right. much does it cost you to get a customer? But then you have a lot more room in the margin. But if your plan is to go, all right, I'm going to sell to distributors, then the distributors are going to sell to the stores. And right. then the stores are going to sell to the people. Yeah. I mean, those margins are inherently going to be micro small yes. unless you really have a shit product. Right. You right. know, like inherently that, that system is, is, you have all these middlemen. You have yeah, all these middlemen. Too many people stepping on it. And I think that's one of the things that Thrive has done is been able to come in with really low cost, you know, at least the the Thrive brand itself, right. things like almond butter and et cetera. Right. Because they're not having to go through three steps that's where the right. distributor sells to Whole Foods, sells to the end consumer, go manufacturer to the direct consumer. Right. And then and that's you know one of the things that we've employed too. We've yeah, been you able guys to have, have done that very really high quality products, really expensive products, products that actually when we're making our products initially, before we established our brand, the manufacturer, I, you know, we'd submit the formula after all the research and everything, and then be go like, "You don't want to make this, man. It's way too expensive." <laughs> and I'd be like, "Yeah, we do. Yeah, thanks for your input, but <laughs> we're doing this too." They're like, "No, I mean, I'll make, I'll make you a sample, but you don't want to do this. Just trust me. I've yeah. been in this business for thirty years. So I was yeah. like, yeah, I got you, but this is a different world now. And yeah. make it, and we're just going to sell it direct to the consumer, and there'll be, there'll be that room." And there's, you know, we do sell to Whole Foods and stuff, but there's no distributor margin room yeah. in there at all. High quality product and the ability to sell to the end user. And one, one of the problems that happens if you don't have enough margin and you're going through traditional retail is you're like, well, if we just get more sales, you know, we're losing a little bit on everyone, but we'll make it up in volume. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work that way, <laughs> yeah. right? You're just going to lose more. And what happens is if you have very low margins and your sales start to take off, your capital problem becomes even worse because yeah. it takes a lot of capital to have inventory at distributors and on retailer shelves. Yeah, plus their payment terms, they're paying yeah. you at net 90, which right. for people who don't know, that means they're going to pay you 90 days after you deliver, yeah. after you deliver their goods. Yeah. 
And that means that basically you're being a bank and financing them their via inventory. your product, their inventory yeah. for them. Right. And you want those in your favor. You want to get terms with your manufacturers and your suppliers because cash flow is the dragon that you're always fighting yes. as a small business, as yes. someone who's starting it up. It's the beast that's always lurking and, and putting it, favorable cash flow positions is huge. And somebody buys direct from you and yeah. they pay up front and then you fulfill yeah, it. Exactly. It's complete. Yeah. That's it, a, the only way that we were able to scale on it up was because I had net 30, only 30, but net 30 with my manufacturer. So, and we were able to do, he was willing to do smaller runs. So, one small batch of Alpha Brain, all the money I got. Yep. You know, but I had net 30, so I didn't have to pay it right then. So I sold that, you know, and then paid off that and was able to, you know, have enough money for the next run and doubled it. Yep. And then sold that and then had that money. And the net 30 actually was just enough of a loan mechanism that allowed me, because the sales were coming so fast, it's great to, to build this thing up until I had enough of a surplus that we could get more aggressive. But having that net 30 coming my way where the sales I was selling were immediate. And what I had to pay was 30 days later. Huge. 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 I would have had to raise way more money if that was reversed. Yep. If it was at the same time or if it was reversed, I would have had to raise a ton more money. So two, two techniques that founders can use to help navigate that. I mean, one is if you're getting off the ground right away, do a pre-sale campaign. And yeah. that's a good way to validate demand. Yeah. Like maybe you use Facebook ads or Google ads, or you have an email list or something, say, it's like running your own Kickstarter, sort of like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, here's the product we're going to be delivering. We're going to give you a discount that other people aren't going to get because you're paying up front. And, uh, and, you know, if we hit this level, you're going to, you know, everybody's going to get their product. And if not, like everybody gets their money back or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not that hard to do it's a landing page it's a yep. it's a shopping cart and uh and and then you have a couple of traffic sources um and and you can also just set something like that up and send an email out to friends family high school people whatever those people love you they're going to buy your product at the beginning to help you get off the ground and if you need to get a thousand sales at the beginning i guarantee you everybody listening to this has a couple hundred people that they can email to say look it's a 20 dollar product like we're getting off the ground. Would love if you would give it a shot. Yeah. Like that is totally feasible for anybody. You don't have to know any big shot influencers or anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really smart idea that the whole Kickstarter model has really changed the game. I remember there's a watch company that I was following that did a massive Kickstarter, you know, basically sold a million dollars in watches before the watch was even made. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just showing from prototype, they made the prototype so people could see it, they mm-hmm. could photograph it, they could do the whole thing. And this massive pre-order campaign, it's, you know, good discount. So yeah. it made sense to pre-order it. And they just crushed it. They financed their whole growth with doing that. The other way is you're giving up big pieces of the company. Anytime right. you're raising money earlier pre-market, like the earlier you raise money, the more, more you, you have, to, have give, to give away. That's right. And, and so the more that you can do these tricks to, to be as lean as possible, the better off you're going to be. And another thing that's also a fucking disaster that people do is they'll have a partner thinking really small. Yeah. Like they'll have a partner who's the owner of like one store. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. yeah, let's do this together. You're the owner of this one store. Well, great. That'll get you in that one store for sure. Yeah. But then you give them a 30% piece or a 50% piece. And then all of a sudden your business is to be in your, your ultimate goal is to be in a thousand stores. Right. And this guy's just the running one store. Yeah. Is he going to be an equal value partner at that point? Yeah. You know, I almost made that mistake with on it. I was, we were selling hangover, a hangover supplement as our very first product before yeah. Alpha Brain. I was trying to figure out what market we were going to get into. And there's a, a excellent group, more like the best DJ here in Austin. And I almost give, gave him like 2% of the company because he would have been able to spread it to all the bars. And, but that was like a fraction, minutia. You know, that would have been the worst use of equity I could ever fathom at this point. Fortunately, I pulled back because I didn't have the big picture of what this ultimately can be. You can be so desperate for that small initial success. Yeah. You give up way too much on the front. Um, slight side note. I am struck by how similar the dating world is to the venture and investing <laughs> world. And And it's like when you said that example, it's kind of like you know, guy goes out with attractive woman and like, he's so overcome by the fact that it's an attractive woman that he's like, yes, this is the one for me. Well, are your long-term values the same? Yeah. Are your personalities compatible? Do you have the same goals? That stuff, like 
you lose sight of that at the beginning and in the excitement of it, but it really matters if you're focused on the long term. Are you both going to be able to contribute equally? Right. You know, equal value to the relationship, the partnership, whatever it is. And if someone's working full time on another thing and you're going to be working full time on on this thing, it's ultimately going to be unequal. And then the partnership is going to collapse. Right. It doesn't have to be equality of time. It's just equality of value. So right. the, the scales of reciprocity are balanced. Exactly. Equivalent. One, one thing that is really simple to do, and it's shocking how few <clears throat> founders do it, it, ask potential investors what a success would look like for them. They're like, when you're investing in this, what sort of return do you want to see for like, this was a success? And b- because there are a lot of VCs out there that will only invest in opportunities if they go massive. Mm-hmm. And it just has to do with the math of their business because they invest in a lot of companies that go to zero. So the ones that succeed need to succeed big to make up yeah. for that. Um, and I've been in meetings with people where um, you know, they're talking with investors and they're like, what does success look like? And they're like, billion dollars. And suddenly the entrepreneur's like, shit, I, w- I would have been happy with the $20 million company and mm-hmm. would want to sell then. And if you have investors, particularly if you have, if you have investors who have the power to veto a sale, you are signing up, you're strapping yourself to a rocket ship without even realizing it, mm-hmm. and it may just explode. Yeah. Um, so ask your investors um, what success looks like to them. And and like you need to see whether you have a, a similar long term vision and whether you're like on board for for the same sort of ride. A lot of times, um, if sometimes you're in a situation where if you do need to raise money, you kind of need to raise it from whoever's there. But like there are a lot of founders where. If you're not turning down a few investors, you're not talking to enough people. Yeah. Like you need to make sure. You can't be desperate for money. Again, it's like dating. It's the dating thing. There's nothing less attractive than someone who's desperate. Yes. It's like if if a girl sees you going up to every single girl in the bar. Like, hey, let's have sex. Please, please, please. Yeah. Yeah. I want to have sex with you. Please fuck me, please. You know, and then they come to you. They're like, ew. Yeah. They're like, what's wrong with this dude? And that's the same way. Like the, um, any investor, you want to be in a position where you're like, Oh, thanks. You know, you're cute, but no. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then that just is going to make them hornier. Right. You know, That's ultimately right. That's all right. the way, you know, or having just multiple options. Exactly. And um, it, it, the parallels there just sort of continue. The, um, my recommendation with founders, and this is not, lots of other people have re- recommended given this advice, but you want to start um, in your initial conversations with potential investors you don't want it to be about money and you don't want to be asking them for an investment the first time you meet them. You want to form that relationship mm-hmm. before you raise money. Um, so instead of saying, hey, I'd love to raise money from you, be like, you know, we're building this company. I'd love to get your perspective on it. You know, down the road, we may raise some money and I'd just sort of like to get your advice on going about that. Mm-hmm. You know, that is. I'm much less defensive and my guard isn't up as much. I'm much more willing to go have that conversation, which is low pressure than somebody who wants to jump into bed with me like, yeah, immediately. Yeah. And, and again, like in the metaphor, VCs are more like the women and um, where like VCs also have a reputation, another parallel for um going radio silent on founders rather than saying no or giving an explanation they'll just like stop responding <laughs> same in the dating space right like yeah, and yeah. and i get it from a woman's perspective if you have a bunch of guys that are coming after you like it's not helpful for a woman to say um no and here's why here are the four reasons why i'm not going to go out <laughs> with you right like it, yeah, yeah, yeah. like it would just create like anger and it wouldn't result yeah. in something productive um you know, polite women will find a way to gracefully say no. Yeah. That and and you get the message and you move on and yeah. it's fine. Um, and polite VCs will do the same. Well, they'll actually have a policy of, um, like Andreessen Horowitz has a policy that you know the deals that they review, they will always respond to the entrepreneur, give them an explanation within a certain period of time. Yeah. Most VCs their do own, not do their that. own ethos. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know develop a relationship with potential investors before you need money. And if you do need to raise money, raise it when you don't need it and when you're not 
desperate for it and you're not reeking of desperation. Mm -hmm. Um, Fundraising always takes longer than people think it will, you know, and things are always more expensive and always. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So to plan for both of those, both of those things as well. The, but the other thing that is encouraging, I, I mean, and people have to prepare for a lot of no's. Again, it, like it's sort of like the dating world. Like you have to get a little bit of a thicker skin because, because of timing or bad fit or random shit. Like there's just there's going to be a lot of no's, and that's fine. Like mm-hmm. you can't let it get to you. Like you need to be who you're going to be. The redeeming part of this whole metaphor is the best way to find a good investment relationship and like a long-term relationship in other areas is to just be an, a, an awesome person. And if you're in the position where you don't need it, like the, the money that you raise, unless it's that initial seed money, like you will need some money to right. get started. Right. Which should be as much friends and family, people, you know, I mean, for me, it was Bodie Miller, who is my good friend, who was a skier, who had some money in an old investment banking contact. And like I said, ended up with $110,000. And that was, my initial seed. These were friends. They actually, I put together a business plan. They like flipped it like it was a flip book. Like yeah. they were looking at an animation. Like yeah. you used to draw the stick figure that would do something. They looked at it like that. <laughs> yeah. Put it down and say, "Are you gonna Are you gonna work hard on this?" And yes. I was like, "Yeah, I will." And like, "Okay, that's cool. right." And then we just carried on with dinner. Like that was that was the initial round. And then from there, you know, I've been in a position where I haven't needed anything. Right. So in that position, yeah, maybe if I got more money, it would accelerated things. But also, you have to know what to do with that money. Otherwise, you'll just yeah. keep burning it, and you'll end up with a company like, you know, not to dog on anybody. I respect everybody, but you look at a company like Muscle Farm, and they've consistently showed losses because they've consistently had money that was just pouring in. And if you have the money coming in, you can get loose. You can buy that million dollar, right. you know, endorsement on Tiger Woods bag that's not returning on investment. Yeah. I can fucking promise you yeah. that. Yeah, you know, and you can do all of these things like, oh yeah, we got cash, we got endless cash. And it gives you this false sense of security. Whereas if you're on your grind and you know exactly what you have to spend, then you know, you'll know which people, man, I love you. You're my homie. We started this, but we just can't work. Like you'll have to be more ruthless and lean yeah. with how you run it. And ultimately that's essential. So again, like running lean for a while, not needing anything, being great self-sufficient. Discipline. Great discipline. I mean, that's how that's how you do it. Yeah. Another mistake I made, man, is I wish I would have had a mentor who done what I'm doing mm. who earlier on, yeah. you know, I've met them now and that they've been helpful now, but early, you know, I could have avoided a lot of, oh. a lot of mistakes. I mean, yeah. I've made a ton of mistakes here and there's people who've made your same mistakes that can, you know, that can give you a leg up. And hopefully this podcast itself is like one of those venues where we're being surrogate mentors, where we're just given a few things to worry about. And, you know, you never know which one of these things might be helpful because there's pitfalls that you'll find on the corporate governance side, on the tax structure side, on the sales tax side, on all of these different things that you may not know about that right. somebody else will know about. There, know? there are. If you think about the obstacles you face in your business, and you know, there, there are basically two types. There are solved problems that other people, they're just known things that other people have figured out how to do and many companies. And then there's stuff that's new and novel. If you're going to make a mistake, you want to make the mistake on the new and novel stuff, <laughs> right. right? Those are hard problems and there are going to be mistakes. You want to avoid as many of like making mistakes on the solved problems as possible. Yeah. And, and the best way is just find somebody who has done as close as possible to the same thing before. Yep. Um, it, like it, it's, it's not about whether they're wealthy or not. It's have they done this before? Mm-hmm. And it's like in hiring, like if, you know. So I had, I, uh, at the beginning of last year, for the first time I got, a, I hired a business coach. I know it was for a set period of time, but like I had always struggled to work with a coach or I haven't worked with a therapist before, but like part of the reason I hadn't is I had, I have, if I don't respect the person, I have difficulty hearing what they're saying. And the person that I hired as a business coach had set up venture funds before. Yeah. And so if I was, you know, bitching and moaning about something, like, yeah, he could hear me, but he could also be like, oh, you should probably just set it up this way. Yeah. And that's just yeah. like massive yeah. relief. I can't tell you how many pitfalls I could have avoided if I had yeah. known the right people along the way who were really like, 
you know, in an advisory board or formal mentorship, informal mentorship, whatever. Yeah. But if I had found people who had created, you know, supplement and foods companies, you know, that had that had done the thing before, it would have been huge. Or even on the the fitness and gym side, you know, like I'm I really went about this like knowing the movement and that's really essential too, being authentic and knowing yeah. your movement. I mean, that was the secret sauce of on it still is, you know, but what what I didn't do is just find the experts who'd done, right. you know, it's never going to be the same company as you, but done in the same field. It right. could have given me all the solved problems. Yeah. Like, here's all the solved math. Right. You know, I don't need to redo the math problem yeah. and figure Here, here's out Here's what a co-packer contract. <laughs> yeah. Like, here's where exactly. you can negotiate. Here's where you can't. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. It would that. have been huge. The, one of the... Uh, one of our portfolio companies is Kettle and Fire Bone Broth. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the co-founders, Justin Mayers, is so good about asking questions. Like, he probably asks too many questions, but what I love about it, <laughs> or like, I'm like, um, but what I love about it, it's coming from a place of no ego. Yeah. He, he doesn't, he know, we're all on the same team. And he would rather err on the side of asking a few too many questions about solved problems than be like, oh, I, I don't want to seem like I don't know the answer or whatever. No ego. He just asks, and yeah. and if we know, you know, we say it, and it's great. It's great. I I I love the spirit. Like you have to be self aware. Like there's the right amount of self awareness as a founder, mm-hmm. where you have to have irrational confidence in whatever you're doing, but you need to get feedback. Have a good feedback loop from from outsiders. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's important, and that ego thing is huge. You know, yeah. I've seen I've seen founders derail their company based on you know, unresolved internal shit time and time again. It's one of the reasons why I don't like taking minority investments. I've been a minority investor in a couple clear wins and just watch the founder snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Yep. Like just, you know, too afraid to launch their product until it was perfect. Well, guess what, motherfucker? It's never going to be perfect. Yeah. You You do the very best you can and then you use that money to improve it and use your new knowledge to improve it. Right. You can't stay in prototype forever. You'll die. Yeah. You know, or some a million other problems that come from just internal stuff, fear of failure, you know, which, and then this idea of fear of success. Fear of success is just fear of failing on a bigger platform. Yes. You know, like I'll take my failure now before I fail even bigger. There's no such thing as fear of success. It's just a different mask for fear of failure. But all of these different self-worth issues and power issues and, you know, I've had seen people in an organizations where they wouldn't hire anybody who is smarter than them, oh, you know, and like yeah. all of these classic mistakes yeah. that, you know, you gotta, you gotta do the internal work and the more internal work you do, the easier everything will be. The, you know, I'm not alone in observing this, but in my career, I have definitely found that the biggest obstacle to me going to the next level is always myself. It is always myself. 100%. Um, And whatever hangups or fears I have, or there's some task I don't like to do, or or I have some scar tissue from a previous venture and that's (laughs) unresolved. and and that's why it, you know when Bodie Miller and his people like skip over your business plan, that's the right thing to do. <laughs> right. We never. I never invest in a business plan. It coming up with a business plan is a good exercise because it does get you to think about things you might be forgetting. Yeah. Oh, you need to raise a million bucks. Well, we forgot about this amount of inventory. We actually needed a million too. <laughs> like that's yeah. a, that's a useful exercise. The business plan changes like the hour after it's written. Yeah. So we don't. Um, we think it's good when we see a business plan because it shows some discipline mm-hmm. to like think it through, but I never look at, uh, I never look at a business plan. Yeah, it shows plan. you that you're serious. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, right. you know, unless you've been in market for a while and the numbers are hard, right. it's meaningless. Yeah. And, and the, um, you know, in, it, it's really true that you invest, you have to invest in founders Yeah, and, and that's the hardest, um, I mean, it, it's it's easy when somebody has a track record of successful ventures. If they don't, um, that you know, that's that's hard. And when people are young, they have motivation, they have energy, but maybe they haven't done it before. Mm-hmm. A bunch of the companies that we've worked with, first time founders, and and they've turned out to be great great people. But that's also a hard conversation to have if you pass on an opportunity and you have some question marks about the founder. You like you can't. That's not something where feedback is helpful. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe I'm wrong. 
Like, may, who who made me the judge of the sure, fucking we world? We all have our own yeah. perspective and our own yeah. perceptive so shifts. So I'm, I'm not going to tell off. someone that maybe I don't have full confidence in them. Because maybe I'm the idiot yeah. in this situation. And then I undermine their confidence. Maybe, and Yeah. Maybe dudes with blonde hair you inherently mistrust. <laughs> right, yeah. Right? Like, I, everybody has biases. I know I have yeah. biases. So um, that that is definitely a gnarly problem. But... Um, yeah, it's if I was talking with a friend of mine who um, ran an incubator and and looking back at his his investments, he said um, one mistake that or like one thing that I learned from the process is it's better to invest in great founders, even if you're not sure you have the market figured out yeah. or the opportunity figured out than a place where you like love the market, but you have some <clears throat> big question marks about the founders. Because, you know, it's nothing, nothing's more important than people. And, and if you have the right, right people out there, they will solve the problems. They will pivot. They will do whatever's necessary. Yeah. Um, and also, like, it's a relief. Like, in my <laughs> life, when, um, you know, the, the Thrive co-founders are very talented founders. And they made it very easy on me to make introductions in my network. That's one of the rules of thumbs I use is, like... Um, just sort of subconsciously, I have a sense for um, how much I want to introduce someone to right. Wellness Mom or Mark Sisson or something yeah. like that. And if, if when I have no psychic load mm. or qualms about introducing someone, that's a sign to me that like, yes, I trust this person and um, and believe in them. Yeah, um, that makes sense. It's I a, mean, it's like a vibration, yeah. which is like an overall assessment of multiple levels of consistency and integrity and all of these things working in incoherence right it's like i achieve a flow state with them like my mind is just at ease with them yeah and um you know so and early stage venture stuff it's just i could do the entire job maybe not at the beginning but like once you get in the flow of it i can do the entire job without math like The, the the math isn't complicated. This isn't these aren't like private equity deals where you have like math dudes doing discounted cash flow analysis or whatever. You're like, great founders, big opportunity, love the product. Let's go. You know? It's not <laughs> yeah. it's not it's not complicated in like a mathematical sense. Are are the founders and are these entrepreneurs, do you think um you know, because I always I often wonder, I, I feel like people think like this is the this is always the answer. Oh, if only I had my own business. But, you know, being one myself and entrepreneurship is fucking hard. It's it's a trial by fire. Yeah. Like it's going to bring out your it's going to put the pressure on you that's going to reveal whatever flaws that you have internally, whatever yes. things that are unreconciled within yourself. It is a beast. I mean, I was I was driving home, I actually tweeted about it. Um, yesterday who knows when this podcast will go out so don't look yesterday <laughs> yeah. when you're listening to this because it won't be yesterday then but um you know I was, I was driving home and just there's a lot of stuff going on right now a ton of things happening and i remember thinking you know i put in a full day at the office ton of stuff going on it's late at night and i was thinking man wouldn't that be nice if my work was done and i was just like all i had to do was just show up the next day you know because i knew yeah. that night it was going to be just a wild ride of planning, plotting, responding, taking care of all of these things until finally, you know, I could get my stress levels to drop enough to snatch a couple hours of sleep before yeah. I had two talks, two podcasts, yeah. and a whole list of other shit to do. And but I, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is yeah. this is who I am, what I'm supposed to do. And I think Gary Vee described it as like I couldn't breathe doing anything else. Yeah, like unless you're so called to this thing that this is the only way for you to do it the only way for you to make your unique mark this is part of the accomplishment of your mission yeah like look at some other options first at least because it's a beast it, it it you're absolutely right um and what what has startups are now very cool and there have been various times when they've you know been cool you know during the bubble and whatever but um it, it's kind of like it's kind of like riding a motorcycle like I've had, I've thought about, you know, learning how to ride or whatever. And I've had friends tell me, they're like, if you're doing it to look cool, this, you should not do it. Yeah. Like if you're into machines and that experience and you're going to become obsessed with it or whatever, then do it and great. Yeah. But, um, there, 
you know, if it can really fuck up your life. If, <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, with, by the way, if, if people read one book on entrepreneurship, I'd highly recommend Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One. It's short, not a lot of jargon, very yeah. original. It's great. Yeah. The subtext of the whole book is that entrepreneurship sucks. It's really hard and most people shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he is talking about like big venture backed stuff, Tesla, SpaceX, PayPal, whatever. And there are a lot of lifestyle businesses that don't require the same type of sacrifice. Um, kind of, but kind it's a of, little bit all relative right. though. You know, like I think that's also the thing. It's just the stakes matter the same to you, right. whether you're running your small, you know, three person operation as it does for yeah. a bigger person. I mean, there is a magnitude of stress as things get bigger. Like, right. Yeah. Having to, when the Number company was, the company and... was eight people, but then again, it's like eight people you really love and are really, that's right. Tried so hard to get them to buy in and take the risk. Right. You know, and then the people who at, you know, my 130th employee, they're taking less risk, you know, in coming into this, but it you have does, a lot of people, there is a magnitude of stress. Yeah. I mean, I, I will grant and acknowledge that, but can stress can, but it's still relative. That's right. And it expands, it like expands to fill the space that, that yeah. is available. Um, I, one of the, like, I remember in, I think it was in college, I had a job that was basically like a nine to five job. And it was so relieving that five o'clock came around and I didn't have to think about my work. I could <laughs> no. just pursue passions and yeah. read and I didn't have that like psychic load weighing on me. And 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 the regular entre- income. Regular income. income. <laughs> That's just coming in. I haven't had a regular monthly paycheck <laughs> since 2010. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, you know, I I'm not close to retirement. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have like a giant, you know, I don't own a car right now. People are like, oh man, you've got your own venture fund. You know all these people. And I'm like, yeah, I'm still Ubering around everywhere. And like, I'm looking at lease rates on, on stuff. And uh, yeah. um, so it, uh, you know, th- that's very real. And I've, you know, I've, I've lost relationships because they're like, you're, you don't feel present with me or you're having difficulty turning off or things yeah, like that. For sure. A lot of people don't see the sacrifices that entrepreneurs make. The the some of the happiest things I've done have been like when I get a chance to do something that's like literal manual labor. Oh, I love like, it. Like here we are, we're building a fire pit today. Oh. And that's the job. And when it when the job is done or it gets dark and it's like we're fucking done, yeah. you know, and then just to be able to relieve that stress that way. That's I, great, you know, but you know, there's obviously there's an immense value in that. And so don't think because you're doing that and you're digging it that you should feel some pressure and compulsion. I should be my own business owner. Maybe if yeah. that's truly in your heart and that's right. what you must do to to be in your mission and to be in your the profession that speaks to your soul. Yeah, fucking do it for yeah. sure. You know, and and we'll, you know, find people to help you listen to this, a lot of these tips. But man, if you're happy just doing your thing, like know that that's rad too. Yeah. And it, uh, then, then that all of us at certain points who are in the entrepreneurial position are like, will sometimes be jealous of you just as you're jealous, yes, you know, of the entrepreneur. Yes, and you know, w- it's easier to achieve a flow state if you're doing something right, something that's challenging but achievable, and you're making in- incremental progress. So if mm-hmm. like I bought, you know, I recently bought like a was at a flea market and I bought a a mirror with you know, big wooden frame. And mm-hmm. so I scraped off all the paint and sanded it down. It was that sort of project where I could just turn off the front of my brain yep. and just do it. And I was making progress the whole time and I was getting better at it and it was bliss. Yeah. In the venture work that I'm doing, you know, we're set up to do 12, 15 deals over a couple of years. And so I might be working for two months on various things and, and, like nothing comes of it. We don't mm-hmm. do a deal or something like that. It's really hard when when it doesn't seem like you're making incremental progress on something and then suddenly you make a ton of progress all at once, but that's psychologically very difficult. We'll all have like a three-month period where like, what did I accomplish in yeah. this three months? And yeah. then I'll have a two-week period where we suddenly do two deals, hyper-productive. But that's, it's very unsettling on the brain to sometimes feel like you're not making progress. And also progress. bear the burden of these unknown threats you know monsters as an entrepreneur monsters come out of the fucking woodwork yes and all of a sudden you're going in like 
oh, another day at the office. Yeah. Bam. You know, you get served with some notification of a patent infringement. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. You know, and then so you're conditioned to this. It's a little bit like, you know, business PTSD to a mm-hmm. certain degree where all of a sudden things are calm, but some unseen thing comes out and just fucking form tackles you. Yeah. And you're like, God damn, I didn't see that coming. Uh-huh. Well, all right. Now this is the new playing field. And now you adapt and you get ready. But it's it's a lot different, you know, and that can that ha- happens in, in regular life too. There's injuries and things, but it happens frequently when yes. starting a business you know one of one of the areas where i've realized i need to improve a lot is um when when you put yourself in a high stress position like almost every day uh my morning routine it, like if if you don't have something to start your day off right to put yourself in the right mindset um there's only so long you can go just like yeah. toughing it out and I, one of my problems is I just try to tough shit out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, high stress period, and I'm just going to power through. You think of these false summits. Like, yeah. you think it's really external. You know, like, yes. yeah, yeah. I just get to this point, shit's going to be easier for a while. Yeah. Everything's a false summit. Yeah. It's all a false summit. Yeah. All the battle is internal. Yeah. So I've what I've been working on is trying to get my morning yeah. routine right. Like, when, my, when, my, when the Paleo Manifesto came out in 2013, about five months before... Um, I had to quickly unexpectedly change apartments. And so found some people on Craigslist in, in Manhattan and moved into a spare bedroom. And I was so focused on the book launch that I didn't set up my room and I was sleeping on a wooden floor in, in like a <laughs> sleeping bag. But like still, it wasn't like a thin carpet. I'm, I'm fine with sleeping on the floor, but it was a very hard surface. <laughs> <laughs> and and the room was drafty and it was it was like, you know, February, March in New York. And, you know, I'm like, I'm just going to tough it out. And I got to my book launch, um, you know, at, at the end of the summer, I was exhausted. Yeah, I was exhausted. I couldn't wait for it to be done. And I just didn't set myself up to. Yeah. You weren't taking care of the, taking yeah. care of the base of the pyramid. Yeah. 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 So. Well, um, we've given people a lot of fucking tips here. <laughs> yeah, we have. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, where should people uh, look in? Where do you like to to point people if they want to keep up with you keep up with what you're doing yeah i mean i mean if they want to learn more about wild ventures our site is wildventures.vc there's not a blog or anything there but but they can learn more about it there and then i'm on i stop i stopped blogging it's taking up too much of my time <laughs> um so i'm on twitter at john durant j-o-h-n-d-u-r-a-n-t and i tweet about all sorts of stuff so you know yeah. go there knowing that it could be lots of topics there's and, a bit of wisdom there and i stopped blogging because it's taking up too much time like for all for all of us being able to say no and being yeah. able to stop something when you have momentum in it and, and progress and yeah. be able to cut it yeah like that's huge yeah. you're gonna have to cut some shit if you're a hoarder of the things that you're working on and stuff you got to be ruthless with that shit saying no is a really important lesson yeah the busier you get being and being able to do it gracefully yeah. mm-hmm. Yeah, do it in a way that's authentic and honest. Most of the time, if you're straight up with somebody, yeah, you know, and straight up with yourself, then it's smooth, you know, and it's just like, okay, you know, I get it. It makes sense. Yeah, just really busy yeah. now. You know? Sorry, I don't take meetings in the morning because that's when I get my work done. <laughs> yeah, and people exactly. are like, okay, yeah. they're like, oh, man. most people are like, man, I should do something yeah, like yeah, that. They're, that they're, sounds like a really yeah, good you're idea. Actually more admirable, yeah, <laughs> for doing it rather yeah. than them being bummed out. So. But, cool, you know, but also like admire what you've built here. It is, it's just remarkable. And even though I'm in the investment space now in the venture space, I tell people, if you can bootstrap your company and your business, mm-hmm. do that. Don't take on tons of investors, maintain control, like maintain ownership, take it in the direction you want to take it in. And it gives you so much freedom. If you can do it that way, there are some businesses where you, like, it requires capital to get over the hump yep. where you can't, it's really hard to bootstrap it. You yep. can't bootstrap a rocket ship to Mars. Well, and it's also too, I mean, if they're working with someone like you, it's a value add. Yeah. You know, this isn't, you know, smart, but dumb money. Right. You know, someone who's not going to really help your business. Right. You have a network of individuals and people and expertise. You're going to help them with these solved problems. So yeah. they're getting uh, money and expertise and yeah. that's, really what you got to look for and you and know, one one only is not going to be enough and when you generate you know you know this when you generate online sales it it allows you to avoid raising money in the future so when we talk to entrepreneurs we're like 
yeah, we're, we're going to come on board. We're going to own part of your company, but we'd like you to avoid an entire funding round or more yeah. on top of this because we're going to generate a lot of sales and you'll have money in the bank. Yep. And if you don't need to raise money again, wonderful. We Even love better. that. <laughs> Even so, better. Yeah, because you get diluted too. Yeah. 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 Totally. Thanks for having me on. It was Beautiful, really brother. fun. Yeah, that was awesome. Because usually I'm like all paleo all the time. Now I can talk about something else. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. <laughs> cool. Thanks. That's dope. Thanks, everybody. Much love. Peace. People often ask me why I started on it. And one of the best answers to that question is it has everything that I fucking love. It has the fitness products that I've loved using for years between the kettlebells, the maces, the clubs, all of these unconventional tools that have history in some cases that extend back a thousand years, but that modern athletes are using. It has the best supplements. Not only have we taken natural ingredients, we've tested them in rigorous clinical trials like Alpha Brain with the Boston Center for Memory. And then it has all of these delicious functional foods and proteins. This is a culmination of all of the tools that I like to use to benefit my life on a daily basis. And I literally use these things on a daily basis. I love this stuff. It's a key part of who I am. And I hope you guys love it as much as I do. Onnit.com slash Aubrey, O-N-N-I-T.com slash Aubrey. You'll save 10% on everything. Enjoy.